Amen. Pray with me. Father, we just thank you that uh, we could declare your name to the nations, Father, through these shoeboxes and through worship. And Father, I thank you for the willingness of the worship team to lead us, to, uh, Father, direct us, to guide us, to plant a seed in our heart for worship, that we might be obedient to your call. God, I pray this morning that you would open our hearts and open our minds to your word. And God, whatever you would have us hear, that we would hear it and it would be clear for us. In your name we pray. Amen. Be seated. You can tell people you came to the First Baptist Church and heard speaking in tongues this morning. So I I appreciate Chris. And uh, one of these times I'm going to have Chris or Rachel or um, Sid's been, those that have been on deliveries uh, when they take the shoeboxes to some of these places, and uh, just to tell you a little bit about what it means to some of these children, because we can watch it on video and you can hear the stories, but um, it's not the same as uh, seeing and sensing uh, what happens there, the atmosphere, and how life-changing it is for a village and for a town. And so thank you for participating in that. Uh, This morning I'm going to do something different, uh, something that I have only done one other time since I uh, have pastored here, and that is I am going off script and uh, not going to preach from the passage that I was going to preach from. And I'm going to talk about something completely different. Um, we will get back to Ephesians and to our study in Ephesians next week. Um, but this week, I, uh, I had the opportunity to go Tuesday night to the Baptist Campus Ministries at App State and get to go about once a semester and, and preach or speak at their campus worship. And uh, Matt went with me and able to meet a lot of students and talk to a lot of students. And what I shared with them was something that God was working on me and my heart uh, all f- from last week and, and uh, continued to work. And so on Tuesday night, I just kind of got there and I, it really wasn't even a sermon or a message. It was just kind of me regurgitating what God was teaching me through a verse that I had stumbled across. And as I stumbled across it, God just continued to work in my heart and spoke to a lot of students Tuesday night. And uh, later this week, as I was working through my message, uh, for today from Ephesians chapter 3 he kept taking me back to that and I, I thought well Lord I'm, I'm trying to you know internalize that I'm trying to make that a part of my life I got this message I'm trying to work on and God just kept taking me back to it and kept taking me back to it uh, and even yesterday as I was uh, praying over my message he kept taking me back to the same passage and so I took that to mean that the Holy Spirit wanted me to to share it with you just a little bit this morning and um, so there must be somebody if not me and Matt it'll be the second time he's heard this verse so uh, Uh, that we need to hear it again, that that somebody this morning, uh, God just wants you to understand this passage inside your spirit. Uh, And I'm going to talk about forgetting. Now, uh, when you say forgetting, uh, I know most of us, especially if you're my age, uh, you would say, Pastor, I don't need a sermon on forgetting. I'm good at forgetting, right? I, I've got that down pat. You know, the older I get, the more I realize that uh, I, I'm forgetting things that I don't need to forget, and I can't get rid of things uh, that I don't need in my head. Do you know what I'm talking about? I can, I can still quote Uh, The whole movie, The Princess Bride, or Monty Python and the Holy Grail. It can be on, I can be walking by, and I I can just start quoting it. And I haven't seen it in years. I can quote songs that that I haven't heard in 25 or 30 years. I I can quote TV shows. Seinfeld, I I think I can quote every episode of Seinfeld. It comes on, and my kids will be watching it in the other room, and I'm yelling out lines from the other. How do you remember that? So I don't know. It's just stuck up here somewhere. 
But come Tuesday when it's lunchtime and I remember that I'm supposed to do lunch with somebody, I can't remember who and I can't remember where. And, uh, and it's, it's like, why in the world does your mind do that? Uh, it reminds me of a story of an older couple. They were in their 80s and they still had good health and uh, felt good, but they went to the doctor for their checkup. And the doctor said, listen, you're getting older, you're in good health, but your mind is starting to, to go. And you'll notice that you'll start forgetting things. And a way that you can help that is to, to write down everything that you hear, and that way you won't have to, to forget. You'll know what you're supposed to do. You'll know what you're supposed to say. And they both grumbled and said, we don't need to write this stuff down. We can still remember. And they got home that night, and uh, they were sitting around the television, and the husband said, listen, I'm in the mood for breakfast for dinner. Why don't we do breakfast for dinner? That's one of my favorite. And uh, the wife said, I love breakfast for dinner. That's one of my favorite too. And he said, I'm going to make it for us. So he got up and she said, honey, you know, I was thinking breakfast for dinner. Why don't you make waffles? He said, yeah, waffles would be good. She said, well, honey, you better write that down so you don't forget on your way to the kitchen. She said, I don't need to write down. I'm making breakfast for dinner. How am I going to forget waffles between the time you told me and the time I get into the kitchen? And so he started watching. She said, wait a minute, honey, I think I want strawberry waffles. He said, okay, strawberry waffles. I, you know, I'll remember that. She said, well, maybe write that down so you can not forget strawberry waffles. He started getting a little more angry. He said, listen, I may be old, but I can still remember what you like for breakfast, strawberry waffles. I'm going to write it down, I, you know, and I'm going to remember it, and so don't worry about it. So he started to walk off. She said, and one more thing. She said, I think I want whipped cream on those strawberry waffles. He said, listen. I'll remember whipped cream. She said, no, honey, I think you need to write it down. He said, that's it. He started tearing what he had written down. He threw it down. He said, listen, woman, I don't need to write anything down. I'm not that old. I will remember. You want waffles with strawberries and whipped cream on top. And he stormed out of the room. And he was in there clanging, you know, banging and making things. And about 30 minutes later, he comes out with his platter, comes down. And he sits down in front of her, a plate of bacon and eggs. She looks at him and says, honey, I told you to write it down. You forgot my toast. <laughs> Some of you resemble that. Um, you relate to that. See, forgetting can be a bad thing. It, it can, it, it, you know, it's something that we work on to not do. But in the Christian world, sometimes forgetting is a good thing. See, matter of fact, for many Christians, one of the greatest things holding you back, one of the greatest things that you struggle with in your walk with God is not being able to forget. Not being able to forget things in your past. Not being able to forget things that have happened or things that have been done to you. And you bring those things into your life and they hold you down like bondage. So this morning, I, I want to show you a passage that just God continued to speak to me from the book of Genesis, and it happens in the life of Joseph. And uh, Joseph is probably one of the characters in the Bible that I relate to more than any, just because I can, I can see what's going on in Joseph's life. I, uh, uh, you know, Joseph's life didn't turn out anything like what he had planned. I mean, it turned out 180 degrees from what he thought it was going to be. Uh, you may remember Joseph. Joseph was the uh, son of, of Jacob, and Jacob, who becomes Israel, has 12 sons, and Joseph is the 11th son. He is Abraham's uh, great-grandson. You remember Abraham and Isaac and then Jacob, and Jacob was the one who stole his birthright from his brother and then fell in love with uh, uh, one of the daughters of, of this man and worked, and the man tricked him, and instead of giving him the daughter, daughter that he loved, Rachel, he gave him her sister, Leah, and he married Leah, and he ended up having 10 kids with Leah and her handmaidens. 
But he never could have a child with Rachel until Joseph came along. And it tells us in the Bible that when Joseph showed up, uh, he was a, Jacob was older. And so he dotted on Joseph. And matter of fact, the Bible clearly says Joseph was his favorite child. Now, I don't know about you. Some of you may be like me. I'm a favorite child. Uh, my parents tell me that all the time. I'm the favorite and I'm the best. Uh, I was the first. And so if you're the first, you're always the favorite until what? To the next child comes along, right? And if you have another child, it's that child. And always the baby becomes the favorite. And I'm not speaking bitterness as the oldest child. I just know that's the truth. Because, you see, my parents disciplined me ten times more than they did my youngest brother. I, I had all the things that uh, they didn't have to do. I had to do. By the time they came along, it was just like, whatever you want to do, you just go do it. You get a car. You know, my dad, when I decided to get a car, my dad was like, you got to have a job. You're going to pay your own insurance. You're going to pay your own gas. My little brother came along. He, he's ten. 11 years younger than me, he came along. They were like, happy 16th birthday. Here's your car. It's insured. We'll give you a credit card for gas. I was like, how does that work? Joseph was the favorite. So much so that it tells us in the Bible that his dad made him at holiday time an incredible code. And you remember from the flannel boards when you were in vacation Bible school, it's this elaborate coat of many colors. And we don't know what it looked like. I, I hope it doesn't look like the Broadway Joseph and the Technicolor dream coat. I hope it wasn't that gaudy. I hope it was just kind of a nice coat. But it was a nice coat and it stood out. And, and his brothers were jealous and they were angry. And it didn't help that Joseph knew he was the favorite. So he's a little spoiled. So he gets this new coat and he He's strutting around. Look what I got. So the brothers began to develop some resentment against him. And then Joseph has a dream. And in that dream one night, the, the Lord showed him his future. Now, he didn't understand it and he didn't interpret it. It was a, this dream of reeds bowing down to him that one day all of the nation would bow down and honor him. Well, instead of keeping that dream to himself, he runs out to his brothers and begins to tell them the dream. And the interpretation of that dream is that one day all of you will bow down to me, the baby brother. Well, if you're an older brother and you've got a snot-nosed, spoiled little brother, the last thing you want to hear is that you're going to have to bow down to him. And so they got even more angry until it finally culminated one day when they were out working. Dad sends Joseph to go see him. They go to see him and they lose their temper. He struts up in his coat and, and they begin to beat him and they begin to uh, fight with him. Their intentions are to kill him. He's probably 12, 13 years old. They beat him to the point that he is bloody and he is bruised, and they, they think they're going to kill him. They throw him down a cistern. They throw him down a well, and he's left all alone. Now, Reuben, the oldest brother, comes along and says, we can't kill our brother. He's dad's favorite. What would dad do? We can't have that blood on our hands. And they'd already beaten him. They'd already torn his coat. They'd already done everything bad to him. And so they decide instead of killing him or instead of taking him home and letting dad find out, they're going to sell him to some traveling salesmen. So it says a caravan of Ishmaelites. Uh, those are the ones who were the line of Ishmael that become uh, what we know today of the Arabs, the Arab nation. And so they come by and they sell their brother. Now I want you, you know, when we read these stories, we think of it in, you know, story. It's black and white. But think about being 12 years old. All of your heroes, your big brothers are beating on you, hurting you. 
Then they pick you up and they throw you down a well and you're in the bottom of that well and you're probably crying, 12, hurting, wishing for dad to be there. And you can overhear them talking about, are we going to kill him or are we going to sell him? Think about the emotions that young man went through. So they drag him up out of that well and they put him on the back of that caravan. And you, can you imagine you're leaving everything that you know behind? Staring out and seeing his brothers not coming after him, not chasing him, letting him go. Tells us he ends up in Egypt and he ends up a slave. He sold into the house of a man by the name of Potiphar, who was a leader in the, the Egyptian kingdom, a, a ruler in the Egyptian kingdom. And he's working for Potiphar. He works hard four or five years. Finally, as he gets older, Potiphar's wife begins to pay, take notice of him. Potiphar's wife, uh, a young, attractive lady, begins to see that she's got a young man working for her. You know, he's, he's walking around the house in his loincloth. And, uh, you know, she's noticing what he looks like. And she's the first cougar, you know, in the Bible. And she's looking around at him. And, you know, it's like 50 shades of gray. All of a sudden, she looks at him and she, you know, starts coming on to him and she pulls his clothes off she takes her clothes off and uh, great line Joseph even after being sold into slavery even after being beaten up and abandoned he says I can't do this he says nobody will know he says I'll know and the God that I worship will know so I can't do this well Potiphar's wife was spurned so she was angry so she goes to her husband and says he tried to rape me Potiphar probably knew that Joseph didn't try. He knew what his wife was like, but he had no choice. And so he had him thrown in prison. And so there, this boy that had done nothing wrong except being an uh, arrogant kid, his dad's favorite, finds himself in prison in a foreign country. No family, no friends. Abandoned. Says he spent three years in prison. He made some friends. Uh, at the same time, Pharaoh's uh, baker and Pharaoh's cupbearer, the one who brings him his cup, had fallen out of favor. They got put in prison. And one night, one of them has a dream. And, and he says, anybody know how to interpret dreams? And Joseph steps up and says, I can interpret dreams. And he interprets the dream correctly about what's going to happen. And so the, the cupbearer says, interpret my dream. And so he interprets his dream. And they said, it's amazing. The king has all these dreams and he's always looking for somebody to interpret it. When, when we get back into the king's household, we'll tell him about you. And Joseph said, yeah, great. I can't wait. I need to get out of prison. And so they go. He stays three more years. They forget. So finally, the king is having a dream that no one can interpret. And the cupbearer says, I remember a Hebrew boy that was in prison. 25 years now, he's been gone from his family. And they bring him to the king, and he interprets the dream correctly that there's going to be a drought. And so because of his great interpretation, because of the God's favor on his life, Joseph is made the head of the agricultural area for, for Pharaoh. I mean, he goes from being in prison, from being in Potiphar's house, to now all of a sudden he is up there in the cabinet of Pharaoh in Egypt over all the land. And he begins to, to work a plan to begin to save the land. Now, you know what happens if you know the story. They begin to have hunger in the land where his parents are, where his brothers are, and so their dad sends them to Egypt. They encounter Joseph. There's a, a crazy trick where Joseph tries to get his dad there. He finds out he's got a younger brother. His mom had another brother, and so there's 12 of them, and he takes the youngest brother to get dad to come back so that he can spring it on all of them. But in the midst, before we even get to that part, 
I stumbled across this verse, and I know I've seen it before, but it really spoke to me uh, about Joseph. This is from chapter 41, verse 50. It says, Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. And Joseph named his firstborn son Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget all my troubles. The word Manasseh basically means to forget. You see, Joseph had all of that other stuff going on. I mean, think of all the things that he had to forget, all of the things that he had to put past him. And here when he has his first child to show that God has truly given him a heart, not just a forgiveness, a forgetfulness, that all of a sudden he names his first son Manasseh. I choose to forget. I was looking up that word and trying to find the root of that word this last week. And there's a Hebrew word that comes from the root of that. It's Kenesha, which is the same root that means to obliviously forget, to consciously choose to forget. It means to take a memory and so remove it from your mind that it's as if that memory never existed. And you see, what I want to suggest to you and I this morning is that sometimes in our Christian life, one of the greatest hindrances from us being who God's called us to be, from us seeking intimacy with God, from us doing all that God wants to do in our church and in our lives, is our problem with forgetting. And I want to suggest to you a couple of areas that we might need to do better when it comes to forgetting, to Manassas, to Kenesha, to putting things in the past. You see, I believe a lot of the reason some of you are struggling with forgiveness is you work through forgiveness, but then you can't forget. And a lot of you can't even get to forgiveness because your lack of forgetting is keeping you from there. And so they work hand in hand. And so this morning, I want you to think about a couple things. First of all, I think we need to learn to forget our past sins. Bible tells us in 1 John 1, 9 that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I see it so many times in Christians' lives, especially when I used to work with young people and college students and teenagers. We confess a sin and we repent of that sin and we go on with our life, but the devil, who's a liar, won't let us forget that sin. And he keeps throwing it up in our face. He keeps bringing it back up. He keeps bringing false guilt into our life. And you get on with your life and all of a sudden something happens and the devil reminds you, you can't do that. You, you don't remember what you did. You don't remember those mistakes that you made. You don't remember how you acted. You don't remember some of the things that you said. You don't remember those actions from your teen years or your college years or before you became a Christian. Who do you think you are if you think you're going to get to do that? I've had people that have talked about being a deacon or a small group leader and say, Pastor, you don't know. I'd love to do it, but you don't know what I did in my past. I don't care. Because you see, the moment that you confess that sin, the Bible says God forgets it. And that means He remembers it no more. So much so that Job tells us He removed it as far as the east is from the west, which is the Israel way, the Jewish language way of saying, it is not there. He is oblivious to it. And so many times, some of you that confess and you confess and you confess, because when that memory comes to mind, your first inclination is, Father, I'm so sorry for doing this and doing that. And God in heaven is going, I don't know what you're talking about. Why are you trying to bring back to God's memory something he has put as far as east is from west? 
See, some of you need to get past your past and let it go. Let, take your hands off of it. Trust that God forgets, God forgives, and move. You see, you, you are a product of your past, but you're not enslaved to your past. You're not enslaved to those past things that you said or the past things that you did. We have to let ourselves let go of certain memories and not allow them to keep us in bondage. See, some of you got memories in your mind that are keeping you in bondage. A lot of us, it's our past sins. That's the devil. God in heaven says, yes, you have to deal with the consequences of your actions, but that sin is gone. Manasseh. Second area that I think we need to learn to let go is past criticisms. Now, all of us, if you do anything in life, are going to get criticized. And there is such a thing as constructive criticism, but out of all the criticism that most of us receive, constructive criticism is about this much of it. Because you see, there are some people in life that just aren't going to like you. Or they're just not going to like who you are or who you represent or where you're from. And so they're going to do everything they can to criticize you. They'll criticize you at work. They'll criticize you at home. They'll criticize you around in social groups. And we allow those words to penetrate into our heart when we should be able to look at the source and not give it any credence. Instead, we just allow those hurtful words to come into our spirit and it, it puts us in bondage. Some of you, when you were young, a coach told you you were too slow or you were too fat or a teacher said you'll never get past this grade or you'll never learn this. Or somebody told you in your past you're not pretty enough or you're not fast enough or you're not smart enough or you're not handsome. And instead of walking away, we allow those words to penetrate our heart. And at times when God begins to use us, the devil throws those words back at us. Listen, all of us have to deal with criticism. The greatest thing to do is to let it go in one ear, out the other, and walk away. Take what's good, cling to it, learn from it, and then walk away. See, some of you need to learn to forget those words that have been said to you. Manasseh. But not only past criticism, sometimes we need to be able to let go of past goof-ups. Past mistakes. To the college students, I said screw-ups. Because all of us in this room at one time or another in our life have screwed up. We've messed up. And I don't mean intentional sins. I'm just talking about stupid goof-ups. I'm talking about dropping the fly ball in the big game. I'm talking about tripping on ice in front of a crowd. Talking about walking in your workplace, getting ready to give a presentation and realizing your zipper's unzipped, right? None of you have ever done that, right? Putting on that new clothes to go to school and you're halfway through school and somebody comes up behind you and says, hey, your tag is still on that shirt. You say, well, that seems silly. It is silly. But we allow those goof-ups to hinder us and put fear in our heart and keep us from stepping out again. See, sometimes we go way out on a limb trying to do what God's calling us to do and trying to be, and we mess up. But the good news is all of us mess up. All of us blow it at times. All of us have times where we don't say the right things and do the right things and, and, and we make mistakes. Don't allow those goof-ups, those mistakes to limit you as you move forward. can't tell you how many times in my life 
as an introvert, someone who is shy and uh, has difficulty relating to people in one-on-one situations in my personality. And, and as I get ready to speak, wherever it is, whether it's to a group of 15 or a group of 1,000, I, I get so nervous and I remember all the times that I blew it in the past. And, and you know, I, I have a semi-photographic memory and so it comes in handy sometimes when I'm speaking and preaching. But I can't tell you how many times that, that I, you know, wasn't looking at my notes and I wasn't, in, and I was over here teaching and preaching and all of a sudden my mind just went blank. And you look out at people and they're looking at you and you think, I don't have anything. And I go home and I beat myself up on Sunday. You can't believe you did that. You need to quit. Don't even... And so the next time I get ready to, to do it for a next group, it could be going into children's church and teach. The devil's saying, you, you blew it. So we need to let go of those past goof-ups. Because the good news for us, 100% of us in this room mess up. We all do stupid things. And stupid things don't define us. It's what we do with those stupid things that does. Manasseh, forget it. The fourth one's kind of hard for many of us, and that is being able to forget those people who have hurt us or who have betrayed you in the past. See, all of us have people in our lives that we've loved, that we've poured our heart into, that we've gone the extra mile for, and they've done something that hurt us or they've done something and walked away from us. And we allow those hurts to come in and penetrate our hearts and keep us from risking love again to keep us from risking putting ourselves out there. You see, sometimes we put ourselves out there and, and people have rejected us or they've turned away from us. And so because of that, we don't put ourselves out there anymore. And if you don't put yourself out there, you'll never experience what God's calling you to do. So we allow these people who have walked away from us to continue to have influence over us. Forget it. But let me say this about that. Forgetting those, those people that have hurt you, putting that in the past, taking, taking your hand off of that, does not mean putting yourself back in the same position to let those same people hurt you again. I heard a preacher say one time, you just need to forgive and forget and go back and try to make it right. No, sometimes you need to forgive and forget and walk away. You see, David, uh, Saul tried to kill him for 10 years. His father-in-law out there trying to kill him. And they meet in a cave and Saul says, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it. And I want you to come back and live in Jerusalem and come back and live in the, the, the castle and come back and live with us and live as a husband and wife with your wife. And David said, okay, I will forgive you and I will forget that you've been trying to kill me for 10 years. But I'm not going to go back and live in the castle and give you a chance to hurt me again. See, some of you, you need to let go. You need to take your hands off of it. You need to forget those people that have hurt you. Forget those people that have betrayed you. It's the only way that you can move forward. Because you move forward healthy. Move forward going with God. Manasseh. And then the last thing I think this morning that you and I probably struggle with, being able to forget, is our past victories, past successes. Because you see, for many of us, 
when we succeed at something, we put a flag on it and we rally around it way too much. And spiritually, we do the same thing. You see, spiritually, we like to get on mountaintop experiences and instead of seeking where God's calling us to go, we have a tendency to want to stay on the mountaintop. And it's okay to fellowship on the mountaintop, and it's okay to to enjoy the mountaintop. But what happens is if you never get off the mountaintop, you never may realize that that wasn't really a mountain. It was a hill. God had a bigger mountain for you. And you see that happen when I tell you, and I told you this before, if I was to come and ask you and take one of the mics and come down the rows today and say, tell me, what is God teaching you today? What did God teach you this week? What is God doing in your life this week? Some of you would start back with your um, conversion experience. Well, when I was 14, God began to work, and I was at youth camp one year. I was at a revival, and, you know, one time I got baptized. No, that, that's conversion. See, a testimony is what is God doing right now? So if I stuck a mic in your face, would you be talking about past victories? Would you be talking about past uh, things that God did in your life? Or are you going to be talking about things that God's teaching you right now? Things that God's doing in your life right now? How he's wrestling and showing you? You see, we've got to move beyond that. That's what Paul was talking about in Philippians 3, verse I used a couple of weeks ago. Not that I've already obtained all this or I've already been made perfect, but one thing I do, I forget what is behind. And see, Paul had just listed in chapter 2 of Philippians all of these things that he had done. I was, uh, you know, the, the Sanhedrin, and I was a Pharisee Pharisee, and I was raised a Roman citizen. I have all of these things going for me, all of these victories. He said, but I'm forgetting all of those things. Forget what is behind and press on. Because you see, there's the key I want you to hear today. You can't press on. You can't go forward. You can't move into that new place with God, that new area that God's calling you to, that new step of obedience until you forget what is behind. Criticisms and mistakes and sins and goof-ups and people that have hurt you, move on. Because see, I want to show you something cool from this passage I read to you. I'm almost done. Listen to this. He named his firstborn Manasseh and said, It's because God has made me forget all of my trouble and all of my father's household. And the second son he named Ephraim and said, It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. You know what the definition of Ephraim is in the Hebrew? God blessing me right here. God blessing me right here. You see, Joseph couldn't have got to Ephraim. He couldn't have seen Ephraim if he didn't have Manasseh. You see, until he was willing to forget the pain, that hurt, the disappointment, the prison, the slavery, being beat by his brothers and sisters, the times that he had blown it, the times that he'd made mistakes, the, the times that he was put into you know, Pharaoh's court, until he was willing to let all of that stuff go, he said, God caused me to forget it. Manasseh. He would never get to see Ephraim that all along God was blessing him in the midst of it. In the midst of the criticism, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the difficulty, God was right there blessing him. You see, that's how Joseph can come and say his most famous line that I love. With the world meant for evil, God meant for good. Because he looked back and he saw all that God's hand was causing to happen. And the only way he could do that was being willing to put it behind him, to forget. 
You see, this morning, some of you are still in bondage. You're in bondage to words. You're in bondage to your past mistakes. You're in bondage to memories. Why let a memory keep you from moving forward with God? Why let words that were said in hate or anger or disappointment keep you from being who God's created you to be? We found out a couple of weeks ago at the end of Ephesians chapter 2 who you really are. You're not too slow, too poor, too fast, too ugly, too handsome, too fat, too skinny. Ephesians 2 says you are God's workmanship, God's poem, poema, his perfect painting for the world to see. And the only way you'll ever see that is if you can practice Manasseh, forgetting what's going on in your past, what's going on around you, and concentrating on Ephraim, the blessings in front. Let's pray.